Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. On deck, on deck, which is, of course, Afrikaans for Achtung, Achtung. Actually, a good number of Afrikaners in South Africa actually, um, well, they support the Nazis. Yes, that's right. And thousands of them were interned for the duration of the war, including a future Prime Minister, BJ Vorster. Nice people. Um, who later made a name for himself as the man in, um, in charge when Nelson Mandela was imprisoned. But enough about the baddies. He's one of the goodies. It's James Holland. You're right, James. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Al. Um, yes, and um, we've got a very heaving post bag. Yeah. Lots of old people. Um, yeah, yeah. It seems that we're communicating by, with the by email. Um, but yeah, we've got a heaving post bag in a non-literal digital sense. Yeah, fantastic. Did you see there was a um, there was a Daily Mash article the other day, which was. Um, uh, interesting Second World War sign of a- ageing in men. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no. Yeah, because I think I think there's a, there's a sort of stages of man, aren't there? When when it comes to Second World War, because you have the kind of sort of you know the kind of eight to twelve year old phase. <laughs> that bit. Yeah, and, and kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, all that, all that yeah. kind of really just almost fainting at the sight of a Sherman. Yeah. Um, then you sort of get over it because you become a teenager and it's just... Well, deep you discover cold. another aspect of Sherman's when you're in your teenage years, don't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you leave it be for a little bit and then, you know, a bit later on in life you come back to it, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got a question, James. What is it? From Jonathan Barnett. Yes, we do. Do we? Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, from Jonathan Barnett. I mean, I can read it if you want. <laughs> That's I'll read it. You up, I'll read it. Okay. Slick presenter. <laughs> <laughs> Not very slick today. No. Um, how is World War Two and the history around it taught in German schools? What do we know? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because, because uh, I mean, here, my both my daughters have done GCSE history, yep. and they've done the rise of the Nazis, and it stops in 1939 like a cliffhanger. Like, <laughs> so what, what happened next? What happened next? What did happen? What to, was the denouement? What happened to nasty Mister Hitler and his? Horrible pals. Yeah, he moved and, to uh, South America. Yeah, exactly. They moved to South America. Of course, they did. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 it does. It, you know, they they. I mean, they don't. They don't talk about it. They don't. They then don't know about. You know, some of the stuff that's essentially mythic to another generation of people, the, the Battle of Britain, and you know, all this sort of thing. They just don't know about it. But I've always been, in when I've been to Germany. When I've when I've holiday in Berlin, I've always made a point of going to the history museum and going to the topography of terrors in. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, which is in the old Reich Chancellery in Berlin. And the, the time before last time was in Berlin, there was an exhibit about the Nazis and about basically about Hitler's post bag and all the mail he got, which is trying to say, look, look, look this was a real thing. This, and they, they had a dispensation of that exhibit to show swastikas, you know, because of course they're illegal in, they're illegal in Germany. So on the public side, I know that they're, grapp- they're, they're not grappling, grappling with it is the wrong word. They're, they're dealing with it and they're, they're talking it through and they're examining it. Easily as rigorously as we might have done, but what what what's happening in schools? Well, actually, it's pretty close to what they do um, do over here. It, it's it's lots about the rise of Nazis and a lot, obviously, on the Holocaust. Right. The Holocaust, everyone learns about the Holocaust. I mean, right. literally everyone goes to Auschwitz. Um, but again, they don't really do the Second World War per se. I mean, they don't do the Battle of Britain and 
<laughs> all the stuff that we're interested in. <laughs> um, they just do the Holocaust and, um, you know, the so what, solution so, and all the so, rest of it. So what would... You know, and it is very much a kind of, you know, you must learn from your history. This must never happen again. But what would the level of academic debate be? Because, I mean, I read Roman Topol's book recently about Kursk, which is like a re-examination of Kursk from, a, mm. from the... So so he, yeah. he says, all right, greatest tank battle ever. Um, that's the story of the Red Army of and, and the Soviets um, uh, put forward after mm. Kursk and then was the standard story until 1990, basically. Like, he, 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 he's kind of pu- pulled the wings off that completely. Yeah, and so has Ben Wheatley. Yeah, exactly. And Ben Wheatley's also done a bit of that. But, 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 but like, so on the academic level, we know that it's being sort of... I mean, I, I, I kind of... Well, there is, like, there is... OK, so there was this post-war series. It was Germany in the Second World War. Yeah. And, and it is the, you know... Actually, it's not, I don't even need to do air commas. It is the official history. It's the German official history. Pouring through... It's a team of academics who've been yeah. pulled together to, to create this series. And I think it's something like 11 volumes or nine volumes. They're big, dry, unbelievably, you know, hard work to read through yeah. volumes. But the level of academic scholarship involved and research, of primary research, of just pouring through tens, hundreds of thousands of original documents is absolutely incredible. Right. And it's very, very dispassionate. You know, it is just, this is what happened, whether it be dealing with the Holocaust, whether it be actual battles, whether it be the nuts and bolts, whether it be the economy. And it does of all, all aspects of the Second World War. So, you know, what's going on back at home, yeah. um, uh, um, social history, economic history, political the, the history, the military history, you know, everything. Uh, and for anyone who's studying the Second World War, you know, it is a pretty essential... But series do, of but, books to have, but, but, but do they have? But do they have? Because um, because you know one of the things we talk about a lot um, uh, is you know these established ideas. So the established idea that the you know the German the German army the Wehrmacht the Wehrmacht was was a, uh, a really brilliant fighting machine, and the Tommy was hopeless. And no, the, uh, no there's none of that, none of that at all. No, absolutely not at all. And and um, no. And because they're looking at all this stuff, the, the the point is all the people who say all that stuff don't read these books yeah. because they're so dense and they're so heavyweight and so academic. <laughs> I mean, this is where Adam Tooze suddenly opened the lid when he did Wages of Destruction, which is this absolutely amazing, but I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but yeah, have, you know, yeah. about, about the uh, Nazi economy, which sounds really dry and boring, but actually it's, really, it's an amazingly um, compelling book. But what he's done is gone through all these original documents and gone through all the, the, the official histories and kind of made it all a bit more palatable. And what yeah. he's concluded is what the official historians are concluding, that the whole thing was a total shit show. Uh, and, you know, the foundations were incredibly feeble. Yeah. Um, the Nazi economy was just, you know, all over the place. Um, terrible decision-making, all sorts of cock-ups, all sorts of, you know. I yeah. Mean, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and so it goes on. And... Um, but for many, many years, these books were only available in German. So unless right. you could read a certain right. type of sort of very dry academic German, um, uh, academic type of German language, you know, you weren't, you just weren't so going to get a, on with so it. So in a lot of Unfortunately, ways, now they're now so, translated. So in a lot of ways, a lot of the, the history of the Second World War has been arguments we've been having with ourselves about what we thought happened to, to us and what was going on on the other side of the channel. It's rather than rather than like a coherent co- historic conversation. With with uh, with the the events even you know because you, yes, the, I the think waves so. of historiography that have that have come through I mean uh, uh, um, you know because there was the there was the good German for a bit wasn't it? the myth of the good German there, there's all those kind of all those things and then of course the British being hopeless the kit being rubbish um, you know and a lot of that 
was after all uh, 70s and 80s history, which was all about saying to the Germans, hey, you're all right, really, because we have Russians to fight. And what can we learn from you fighting the Russians? Which is one of the really interesting things, you know, that, that, that you know, all those old battle, British Army on the Rhine battlefield tours of Goodwood, where they go to the Goodwood battlefield and Hans von Luck would say to all, would, would say to all these young British tank officers going, oh, well, you came up to the hill and we got you. you know, like, we got like, you like, with my 18 with with millimeters. I turned them on them. Yeah, it was just, yeah, exactly. It was a turkey shoot. Exactly. And all this, right? And 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 that this that the, and a great deal of that's informed by post-war politics as much as it might anything else, rather than yeah, yeah. rather than primary source. I mean the boring bit, the boring bit of being a historian, rather than you know, because I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a secondary source guy. <laughs> I'll, I'll read around, but but very rarely have I gone to queue and uh, you know I have gone to queue and sat down with with war diaries and stuff. Although they're all online now, you know, um, or a lot of them online now. People have effort transcribing them, but but you know what I mean, I mean and it's it's just interesting that that, that we've had that we've obviously had this sort of um, this historical debate to and fro myths setting themselves up because we've had to deal with winning, whereas Germany had to deal with losing and going well how did we get ourselves in this terrible situation and how did we then not extricate ourselves from it and what is what what what's that rather than you know because I mean. A lot of the way we look at the war has been, well, we were lucky to win it. Well, hang on a minute, with our giant industrial military complex, blah, blah, blah. Maybe sort we, of cheating almost. Sort of cheating. Some people <laughs> see it as kind of, yeah, the, the sort of allies were cheating by having colossal preponderance of material. And, and it didn't matter if their soldiers weren't as snazzy tactically. And all but, that, but I think and all that stuff I think you're that right, we've though. talked about a lot. The, the, there's other stuff going on here, isn't there? There's, I mean, yes, it is the Germans who are the only ones who fought the Russians and it's now a Cold War in the yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s yeah. and all the rest of it. But also there is sort of post-Empire guilt, decline of Britain yep. as a great power. Um, from the American point of view, you know, well, America still- is brought up you know i mean the people that are writing the histories are sort of a lot of them are, are ex, ex-military or they're kind of political journalists yeah. who've had turning their hands to, to history you know they're they've studied history at school and at school they've done bunker hill and lexington and the thin red line and all the rest of it and the british are the old enemy the imperial force yeah. Yeah. so there's this sort of inbuilt prejudice as well then they're kind of writing it in the say the 1980s or 70s and you're looking at looking at britain you're thinking really well they were the, got, they, they had the largest empire in the world they had the largest navy in the world yeah. of course well, they did and you've had and you've had korea and vietnam where yeah. the american army has basically completely tried to tried to deal with, tried to deal with it the, the, the way they had done in Europe and completely unravel and, yes. and, and lose in Vietnam. And on top of yeah. that, post-war, there is this big um, study done by both the British and the Americans, but the British the Americans are much more um, sort of organised about it, of post-war interrogation of, yeah. of middle-to-top-ranking yeah, yeah. German officers. Yeah. And because there aren't many in the Luftwaffe left and because the Navy didn't really do anything, the Kriegsmarine, apart from a few U-boat captains, and most of them are dead as well, the vast majority of the people they're talking to are army people. Mm. They're German army. So there is an army bias, a land-centric bias. Well, and they, and they get hung up on the idea... And of, of course... They get hung up on the idea of Blitzkrieg. They get hung up on all this sort of stuff. Cause, because after all, this, the victory in 1940 is, is amazing. So if you're a student of warfare... You could, that's that's the that's the sort of that's the supposedly the paradigm moment in the Second World War when when the Germans invent a new form of warfare and they knock out the two two world powers in 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 a fortnight and so of course you're going to look at that rather than yes. um, the, 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 the 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 three four year screw up that is the is the the Germans fighting on the Eastern Front but, but but there is more than that and that is that the Eastern Front when they were fighting the Soviet Union 
is predominantly a land campaign yeah. rather than an... I mean, yes, of course, there are air forces involved. Yeah. And, you know, being Hartman's getting but not record strategic numbers. level, though. It's all but, tactical, isn't it? So? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so in, the, in the kind of foreign studies programme that the Americans do, they have interviews of all this stuff, and you can still go and read all this stuff, and it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. But the Germans who they're interviewing, it's very, very curious because they sort of go, oh, yes, you know, the, the Americans were very impressive. I mean, you know, they're kind of thinking, maybe that's a year off my... Prison, you know, if I sort of suck up. Yeah. But at the same time, they're also sort of distancing themselves from the regime. And at the same time, they're also kind of bigging up their their tactical and military prowess. And they're saying, these communists um, uh, need beating and I can help you. All that. And all that has has influenced Slam Marshall, who is this famous, infamous, whichever way you want to look at it. He was a sort of American academic who sort of worked out that a German soldier was four times better than an American British. And it's just, you know, all of that has been academically massively kicked into touch because a lot of his data was faulty and biased and all the rest of it. And it's been subsequently taken on by sort of Martin van Krefeld and people like this and and Carlo Deste, who I've mentioned before. Mm. And that's then been jumped on by Max and by um, Anthony to a lesser degree, but to a a certain degree as well. Um, Anti-Monty, which goes back to the kind of Lexington and Bunker yep. Hill and all the rest yep. of it, all yeah, these yeah, sort of yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a whole reasons of things which are going in. But you're absolutely right. The debate really has been an internal one rather than the Germans going, actually, we all thought you were a bit rubbish. And, and you know, what, what, one of the points, of course, about all this <laughs> is that tactically we put a lot of German weapons on a pedestal and German fighting prowess on a pedestal because they were really tough to beat because they were cussed and didn't give ground and yeah. they kept fighting and all the rest of it. But that didn't make much military sense a lot of the time. Um, and, of course, the other thing is they never had to fight against us because no. they were on our side. You know, if, if you're an American soldier, you're not fighting against American air power and yeah. naval power. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't ever witness that. Yeah. And, and I think one of the areas where our narrative of World War II has gone wrong is it's become too land-centric. I think we ignore the huge benefits of having really top-notch A1 navies. Yeah. But... Um, that's, well, that's, so, that's veered off a little bit from yeah, that question. No, but I, no, but I think... But it's an interesting but I, one. No, but I, think, but I think that, you know... Uh, but actually, I've got another point to make about... about oh, no, no, go on, you say it. Well, no, no but, but, but this is the thing about history, isn't it? Is that, is that it's all... You can say, well, how is it taught in schools? But why is it taught like that in schools? What does that, what does that say about the society and, and after all the politicians that, who get to decide the way stuff gets taught mm. in schools? And then the teaching establishment that's obviously... Um, uh, usually resisting that and all these all these things that go in the mix and you know the, the, the because the because the second world war you know aside from being this great big fascinating event we talk about is fundamentally hugely political mm. as our in this country say as a foundation myth i mean after all we've a, we've a we've a tory party that's framing itself as chichilian and a labor and, and a labor party that's framing itself as the national health service so the, the post war settlement yeah. right it all goes back we, to 1945 you know this elec- this election yeah. um it, it, whether whether you like it or not is is tinged in um uh, uh, 1945 absolutely well i've got, I've got which is i think you know it's really interesting when people go on about people going about oh, when when are you going to stop being interested in the battle of britain well all right when when, when people stop framing everything through the, the <laughs> 1945 election if you want but, but actually i think there's a very good case for teaching the second world war in, in in schools because one of the reasons why the allies win is because they're fantastically um cooperative with one another yeah their their pragmatism is absolutely second to none the prioritization of how they handle their logistics and their supplies and what what materials they do have is just 
unbelievably impressive. This kind of pulling together, you know, America and Britain are, um, you know, they're not formal allies, they're coalition partners. And yet, despite all the kind of sort of stuff that's been written about Anglophobia and Americophobia at the top rank, actually, I don't really see much evidence of that at all. You know, you have personality clashes just like you do anything else. But really, it's it's just an absolute marvel of collaboration and cooperation. And really... That should be taught because it's a it's a lesson to everybody around well, the world well, about how to actually make stuff happen well, and, and also, how to how to pull together. But also that you can do that without to, using totalitarian methods. Like, totally, hundred percent. Because the the enemy the enemy. I mean, although one of our allies is uh, a little bit totalitarian, let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, the, but but the, those were the levers that they had. Yes. To, to try and achieve what they had, and we managed without those levers. Yeah. You know, one American soldier shot for desertion. Yeah, absolutely. In the Second World War. Yeah, uh, but but the other you thing know. I would say about about Germany, and what's really interesting about it is is and that's a country with the death penalty. That's not so 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 yeah. So they have you know, capital punishment, and they still do have capital punishment. So so you could frame it in that context. Mm. Still, only one guy, yeah. which I think is kind of amazing. Really, yeah, I mean, not the thirty thousand the Germans I, do. Yeah, exactly. Clearly, I disagree with the idea of it, but but it's extraordinary. Only that that's only one fella, and this guy shot for rape, executed for rape, murder, but but that's death penalty. Stuff anyway, so yeah. so you, you know the, the totalitarian levers aren't at the Allies' disposal, no. no, and and they triumph. It's it it it's really interesting, but 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 just go back to, to Germany. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really interesting about Germany is is that. You know, they 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 teach the Holocaust and, and Nazis at school, and not the actual Second World War. And there aren't a huge number of books on it either. I mean, you know, it is really high-level academia. What, so it's not like going into Waterstones and seeing Hitler, Hitler's bail no. full glare coming no, out of every other book. No, out. I mean, Anthony, Anthony Beaver gets published over there, but yeah. it's very, very hard to get published in Germany. It really, really is. And, and yet there are lots and lots of um, programmes on TV about it. Um, you know, Nazi megastructures. Are, are, you, are, you, are you published in... No, I'm not. Right, see, that's why it's so difficult. That's why he's on about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been rumbled. No, no, no. So, no, but, but seriously, the, the, but they have, you know, they have the Generation what? War. There yeah. was that, that, yeah, yeah. that um, miniseries, which was just fantastically done. Um, there's lots of programmes on it. Of course, there was Downfall. Um, uh, Look Who's wow. Back. Wow, Evita Das, yeah. yeah. Which is, um, which is um, both really film brilliant. and book. Yeah. And we've talked about the, about the book. There's Das Boot. Yeah. Um, reimagined, redone. They're, on, yeah. they're, they're filming the second series now of the, yeah. of the redone series. Um, there's lots about it in cinema and TV. As I say, you know, Nazi megastructures for love it or hate it, it it's, on in, it's on in Germany. There's lots of that sort of so stuff. One word for that programme, huge. <laughs> now, um, we need to... You know what? By the way, uh, dear listener, James and I, as you can probably tell, we haven't, we haven't sat down and uh, jawed about the Second World War in a couple of weeks, actually. So we're kind of letting it all hang out a little. Right, we're going to take a short break. Uh, but here's the question we'll answer on our return. It comes um, from James C. via the tw- via Twitter, using the hashtag WeHaveWays. How close was Ireland to entering the war? Is it true Churchill promised Northern Ireland if they did? What happened next? Find out after the break. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, as you... I mean, part one. There you go. Simple question. Twenty minutes later. Twenty minutes later. Anyway, uh, James C wrote in and asked if Winston Churchill offered Northern Ireland as a carrot to the south of Ireland, if uh, if Ireland agreed to enter the war on the Allied side. Is this true, James? Well, I'm not sure. There's a sort of nagging thing in the back of my mind from reading Andrew Roberts's biography and also Max Hastings' one on Churchill as a when it, in during the war. I'm sure I've read this, and it's but it's but also it's also I kind also, of one of those. 
one of those. It's, it's sort of too good to be true, isn't it? I, I sort of have a feeling that Churchill said, you know, he wouldn't go that far. But what he, you know, there's a lot of political pressure on De Valera to try to, and do that. Yeah. And, and De Valera eventually agrees to them having weather stations and radar stations on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, but not of, ships. No, and there are cases of, oh, of sort of, you know, of, of German pilots, bomber crews and, you know, British fighter pilots both being interned in the same prison because yeah. they've come down on... Uh, on land in 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 ira rather than in the republic rather than in in ulster but yeah it's an interesting one isn't it but but what it reminds me of right is june 14th 1940 vansitat yes um going to the french government saying look you you're in the you're in the ship yes 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 and churchill proposing a union with france France. the anglo-french uk british french union yeah and, uh, and Reno takes it sort of half seriously. It gets taken pretty seriously and taken to the French cabinet who go, no, we can't possibly do that. Yeah. Um, well, but and, by that point, uh, the, the cabinet well, has they've brought in Petain and they've exactly, also got Wigan. Exactly. On. They're, yeah. So they're not going to do, they're not going to do that. But, but, but he, he, Reno's problem is that then. Reno being the prime minister. Yeah. The, the, the French are then going to have to, having said no to that, they're going to have to carry on fighting on their own. Um, and, and this is, you know, after Dunkirk, this is when the German army and the French army line up opposite each other on mm. the Somme. Yeah. And the French army formed sort of defensive squares. Held by fifty first Highland Division and First Armoured Division, absolutely, of course. Absolutely. But but so so Churchill did go round making these offers. Yes. These and, and that one, they, they that there was a there was a, a proper written proposal that was taken to the French government. He did make these kind of offers. So yes. so the the Irish thing. I, I I just can't remember. I know I've read about this before. I, I have as well. I can't remember. I need to look I can't it up. Remember, I, I can't remember how true it is or whether it's a like... Because people obviously like to portray Churchill as up to something, skullduggerous and, and shit-stirring very often. And this would that this completely fits that bill. But it also... It, it, it's, it's, not out of, it's not out of character with the kind of offers the British government was making. In 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 well, mid nineteen forty, you know, it was really in, term in, for, in return for destroyers for the US, yeah. for example. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. And of course, the US, the US, then very much go, yeah, sure, we'll have that island and we'll take that and we'll 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 take those companies off you for lend lease and all that. And the, and the US, the US, the US, very much take the opportunity when the British offer them. It's the it's the other countries that don't. Post war, Churchill definitely says, you know, I look forward to a time when there was a united Ireland. Um, uh, he definitely says that. Um, he says but a lot, but of he's stuff, also though. he does say an awful lot of stuff. But also, there is a big sort of point. You know, I mean, one of the things that is sort of being banded about when Halifax is is talking to um, the the Italian ambassador at the end of May, beginning of June, you know, at the very end of May, yeah, twenty, you know, that weekend of the twenty fifth, twenty sixth of May. So Dunkirk. He's saying, well, you know, we could trade in Malta and you know maybe Gibraltar and a few other bits and pieces and yeah, Egypt. Okay, we'll bug out of there. Yeah. You know, the Suez Canal. Um, you know, and churches are going, well, that's absolutely outrageous. You know, of course, of course we can't do that. Yeah. So it seems the idea that he would just sort of abandon British sovereignty, particularly when it's part of the United Kingdom, seems seems unlikely. To well, it's... It, it, but, but it is an interesting one. But, but yeah, after all, the, 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 you know, June the 14th is when that proposal went in. I mean, are Britain's fortunes any lower during the Second World War? Well, yeah, I think they are. I think the, the, the lowest point is Monday the 27th of May, which is when... Operation Dynamo, the yeah. evacuation has just started. They haven't quite worked out whether they can use the mole at this stage. It, you know, the optimistic mm. um, estimates are forty thousand being lifted, not three hundred and forty. And you know, it, there's a 
dangerous cabinet split that could bring down the government. I mean, yes, I, think I that suppose is at least I suppose at least the BEF has been removed. Yeah, from, so, from harm's way, you know, which is the my pub landlord joke about that. Is the Germans can't fight you if you're not that can't defeat you if you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a fair point. Dunkirk, Dunkirk spirit. Well, no, it's a, it's a classic um, uh, Brit, Britain or England or whatever you want to call it, um, getting out of harm's way and, yeah. then, and then coming back to fight the arm, enemy at arm's reach at the end of your Very naval sensible. trail, like the Peninsula War, you know. Yeah. Blah, you know Trade the, space com- for time. Completely traditional. Um, uh, right, so now we have, a, we have an email from Sean Waters. Dear Alan James, wonderful, informative podcast, fawning sycophant emoji. I like that. I like the cut of uh, Sean's jib here. I know this is an email. I am old. So, a few things. It's, I love it when the listeners listen. Um, here we go. Zuhi, Zuhi, which is Chinese for Achtung. Hope you haven't done that one yet. Anyway, the real point in, is this. My interest in World War II grew from making models as a kid and playing war games and having a father who was a chief petty officer on HMS Indomitable. Which, Respect to him. Yeah, wow. Which saw action in Operation Ironclad, which we talked about mm. on probably one of the first podcasts we did, um, the one minute in Madagascar. Yep. And Operation Pedestal. Ah, oh, yes, well. Which yep. you've mentioned in the podcast. August 1942. There we are. James knows an awful lot about Pedestal. In fact, we should do a Pedestal special, special edition. Okay. Next August. A pedcast, we could call it. Actually, that's probably <laughs> a bit dodgy, isn't it? Um, anyway, um, uh, anyway, Sean says his father saw the HMS Nelson using its 16-inch guns as anti-aircraft weapons in the Med. It was nasty out there. Well, I mean, what a thing. I mean, the, the, that was a very hot part of the world to be in, wasn't it, Pedestal? It really was, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Most heavily defended convoy of the entire war. Um, and still only five out of 14 got through. God, I don't fancy those odds much. <laughs> no, the the, uh, the Weimarama, which was a yeah. uh, which was a merchant, went down in three minutes. Really, three minutes. Oh dear God. Yep. How many people on that? Yeah, enough hundred and something. Uh, anyway, Sean has a question for us. Um, uh, was there anything that Germany or Japan could have done to win the war, or at least not lose it? Or was it actually doomed to always fail? Should we do well, short answer, long answer? Well, let's let's start with the aim of it being short um, and see where we go. <laughs> well, which is very like um, the way the Germans approached the Second World War. <laughs> yes, they exactly. they hoped it, they, 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 I mean, the thing is, the way, I mean, we, we've just been talking about Dunkirk, we've just been talking about the fall of France. The Germans only had one option, that was to knock France out quickly. They knew they couldn't win a long war. They'd, lo- they'd only lost yep. a long war 20 years previously. Yep. Absolutely everyone involved in decision-making in Germany knew perfectly well that a long war and a blockade by the British Navy, by the Royal Navy... Spelt doom. Spelt doom. And there was... Uh, and secondly, they were also students of... They all came, came through Prussian military tradition, Klaus Fitz strategy, which is all about... Oh, Knockout blows, decisive battles. Because, because they can't afford because to do Because you it. can't afford to do a long... You can't they never have been able yeah. to. So there's exactly. no different from Frederick the Elector, Frederick the Great. It's yeah. the same this principle. complete... Again, and we just, said that, we just said that the British are fighting a traditional war of let the space and all that sort of stuff. The Germans are fighting a traditional war for themselves in 1940. Although Hitler's this... Arguably an anomaly politically and all that sort of thing. His, a lot of his strategic thinking is really very traditionally German. You could argue. Yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is a huge argument that's gone on since since 
May the 10th, 1940. Well, you've only got to look at where they cross uh, the River Meuse at yep. Sedan. The main crossing point, there's a number of, there's three crossing points yep. at, the, uh, at Sedan. Um, within Sedan itself, there is one main crossing point, and, and that is the precise point that the German army crosses in 1870 and 1914. Yeah. Yeah. There's no difference at right. all. So, so the point, so the point, the point, the, the, the point I was sort of trying to get myself to make was that Germany only had an option on winning a short war. Yep. That was the only way it could win a war. But you said it's got to knock out France quickly. And it's got to be a knockout blow. And so they but knock out France. Knock out. Yeah, there we are, you see. They knock out France, but they don't knock out. They don't knock, knock, out, knock to- out Britain uh, and the British Empire fundamentally because the Germans don't understand what the British Empire is and fundamentally because they don't understand what the British Empire has at its disposal, which is an enormous navy, a giant shipbuilding industry, all the world's shipping what is it, 80% of the world shipping, Europe Europe shipping, flees to the UK, merchant shipping, flees to the UK. So all the Norwegian shipping has, you know, Norwegian's the second biggest maritime fleet in the world in 1940. All their, all their maritime fleet... Britain um, has access mer- to Merchant 85, Navy, merchant Navy comes over. to 85% of the world's merchant shipping. There we go. That's 33% of the world's, world's merchant shipping itself. Yeah. yeah. And access to 85%. That's right. prepared to do it on their behalf. Yeah. It's a, it's quite an advantage. It's quite an advantage, and, German, and Germany Germany simply can't compete in that respect. Which 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 then takes you to why inevitably what the Germans have to do, having failed to knock out the, the British and the British Empire, blah blah blah. What they have to do is then they've got to get their hands on the stuff that's in Eastern Europe that the Soviets yep. so up to this point yep. have been yep. selling because they fell in the Battle of Britain. They're forced to go to the Soviet Union yep. far yep. earlier than they're ready. But, but, but he was really up for the Soviet Union. Yeah. If there was one war that Hitler really wanted to fight... It was that one. It was that one, which is why he had to knock the others out. Why he had to... You know, the, 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 in the end, his war aims are incompatible with his capabilities. Totally. T- totally. But but, 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 but... I'm not massively into counterfactuals. No. But here's going to come an even bigger but. There is the one window, I think, that Germany has to defeat Britain comes between the 23rd and the 27th of May, 1940. Right. That, that, that little window, and that coincides, A, with the cabinet split that we just talked about, yeah. halt but order. also the halt order. Yeah. Because had he not issued the halt order, I, I think it's inconceivable that the vast majority of the BAF wouldn't have been surrounded. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, I can't the, see to, how... The uninitiated, the halt order, James. The halt order is... Okay, so what happens is that most of the German commanders don't understand new panzer warfare. Panzer Division is an all-arms fighting unit of motorised infantry, motorised artillery, reconnaissance, and, of course, tanks. They are very much the spearhead. And, and they've, they've got these new tactics which have been pushed forward by Guderian and which are enjoyed and, and agreed with by Rommel and Reinhardt yeah, yeah. And, and von Houten and, 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 and all the rest of it. And, and what they're doing is they are way ahead of everybody else. And... The senior commander, Army Group A, don't really get it. They don't really understand this newfangled way of kind of careering off into the, into the sunset in your armoured car and groovy BMW yeah. R75s. And um, so they're nervous about being called out. And the Arras counterattack on the 21st of May, where the British counterattack south of Arras and, and knock Rommel's 7th Panzer Division and the Totenkopf, Waffen SS Totenkopf Division yep. off kilt, off balance for a bit, yep. that frightens them. And they go, whoa, hang on a minute. I think the, the panzers need to halt. 
And Holder, who is the chief of staff of the army, hears this order and goes, that's insane. We've got this amazing opportunity to get in right behind from Gravelin up to Dunkirk and completely encircle, encircle the whole of the, of the BEF right here, right now, and the rest of the French in that pocket. Um, I countermand it. The next day, and I think it's the 24th of, of May, Hitler visits von Rundstedt at headquarters, tactical headquarters of Army Group A, and says, where are the panzers right now? And von Rundstedt goes, I don't know, my Führer, because Holder's taken them off me and given them to Army Group B, which is Holder's way of kind of going, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to hand them over to, over to Army does. Group B. Who does? Yeah. And Hitler goes, What? How dare he make decisions like that without consulting me? I, I countermand it again. Von Rundt said, you're now, you, it is up to you when you countermand that and, and, and release the, the, the panzers again. And it's got nothing to do with giving Britain a chance. It's got nothing to do with... It's to do, it is to do with... Who's boss? Who's boss and showing Holder, who he can't bear, and Von Braukitsch, who is the commander-in-chief of the army, who he also can't bear, who is boss, who's the daddy man, and you don't fuck with me. Because you get... Because the, there is a... I mean, because there's a very good German book about this. I read uh, seven or eight years ago. I can't remember. The basically Karl Heinz Friese. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It just says it's about, it's about it's about who's in charge. He's he's so it, it's right. Such a great book that, and it's absolutely brilliant. And about yes, it is. Uh, and completely about how Falgelb, you know, Operation Yellow, which is the invasion of France, is their own. It's their only option. They have no other way of of trying to de- defeat France. And there's a whole lot of people who get that, like you say, who invested in it. But Hitler, in the end, he doesn't understand no. Panzer warfare. No, and also by this point, we're two weeks. In, we're two weeks into the offensive. Yep, big casualties. Um, the Germans, are t- the Germans, the Germans. Are pr- uh, uh, you know, one of the things about Blitzkrieg is it's expensive. Yeah, you lose a lot of men. You've got to be prepared to lose a lot of men and push on. And the tanks are all falling to bits. Uh, you know, uh, but they are still going. But they're they still, are still going. going. But, but, but there's nothing like the numbers they had two weeks earlier. No, but, but the attrition, they're, they're the attrition happened. But, but the goal is, yeah. is is absolutely insight. And one of the things that has been absolute USP of this Bavundes, uh, this um, Bavundeskrieg, which yeah. is the uh, um, this this rapid warfare that we were talking about just a moment ago. Yeah. Traditionally, the Prussian way of fighting really quickly and yeah. knocking your enemy um, off off balance. One of the things about that is having your commanders on the spot making command on the spot decisions because yep. they're the best place to make yeah, them yeah. rather than people 100 miles behind still in Luxembourg. Yep. And, and that is the fundamental breakdown of that principle. You know, Guderian is the man on the spot. He's in charge of the Panzer Corps. You know, Rommel and, and, and von Heute are the people who absolutely are, are positioned to, to do that and Reinhardt and all the rest of it. Those are the guys who should be making that decision. But this is, but, and this is Hitler. This is the Hitler, the Hitler leadership style and, 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 and its deleterious effect on the on the. And in trying general. to impose his authority yeah. on Holder and von Braukitsch, he, in my opinion, loses the sliver of an opportunity he has to defeat Britain in 1940. And he does it again and again, though, doesn't he? Because Stalingrad, yeah. arguably, is is why why on earth if you're trying to defeat Russia, are you bogged? Are you focused on a place really? like that? Well, why are you going well, to the Why are you going to the Romanian orphans? You know the Caucasus orphans anyway. Yeah, and 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 then uh, you know, uh, and we'll, hopefully we're going to be going there soon. It, Bastogne, for instance, in that in in the German offensive, Hitler gets hung up on Bastogne and says, "Take Bastogne at any cost." And you think, "No, I thought we're meant to be meant to be going to Antwerp." And we and you've got us stuck only only what is it a dozen miles into our you, you know what I mean yeah. he keeps doing it because yeah. he doesn't actually know what he's talking about yes and 
is hung up on his well, expressions this is a guy, of his authority. The, the, this is a guy who, who's been a half-jack um, in the First World War, so yeah. one stripe. Um, he's never been to staff college. He's never served in any in an officer role at all. No. Um, yes, okay, he's read a lot about Frederick the Great, but, you know, I've read lots of history books, and that doesn't mean, say, I'll be an amazing field commander. I mean, I'll be absolutely rubbish, of course. Yeah, you I'd, know, be, so, I'd be diabolical. Yeah, of course. So, you know, he's just really, really ill-equipped to, to make I, these I'd, kind of all decisions. All the guys I'd get killed, it doesn't bear thinking about. No, exactly. So anyway, <laughs> but the second part of this so, is all, so. all Japan, and I would say the only way that it could have worked for Japan is had the three um, aircraft carriers that were supposed to be in Pearl Harbor when they launched attack, which are absolutely key to the whole thing working, weren't in harbour. So they weren't destroyed. Had had Japan destroyed those three aircraft carrier, then the outcome in the Pacific might have been different. But 1946. Yes. Ultimately not, but yeah. but but certainly for a bit. So because was, it, was could, it so the, but the question is is could they what could they is there anything they could have done to win the war or at least not lose it? Or was it actually doomed to always fail? I don't think it was doomed to always fail, but it was incredibly likely it was always going to I think fail. it's like a I, I mean I think it's like a four fifths doomed, seven eighths. Yes. Yes. Nineteen twentieths always doomed to fail. Yeah. I mean I, I, Well people always say to me, What was the worst hit decision hit always starting uh, the second world war? <laughs> I was going marching yeah. in Poland yeah. every single time. Yeah. Getting elected. Thank you, Sean. Leaving um, Berkers Garden. We were going to we're going to answer four questions then, but we've gone and done one because uh, you we know get carried what, away. You get carried away, and there's just so much to talk about. Thank you for your company as always. We've rattled through those. Keep sending them in though, please. And you know how to do that. Hashtag We Have Ways or We Have Ways Podcast at gmail.com for the elderly. We'll see you soon. Bye bye, Grandpa. <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>